Becoming. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can find our episodes on deconstruction, feminism, gender, sex, and more on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And make sure that you're following us on Instagram at She Is Becoming Podcast for additional resources and to catch our giveaways. Well, I am your co-host Delaney, and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. Hi, Delaney. What Welcome. a wonderful day this is. We're very blessed and feel privileged to have a guest with us today. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be on an interview format, and I think our listeners are going to find this very helpful. Amen. Yeah, we're really excited about our guest today, Alan. Do you want to introduce him, Bev? I would love to. Uh, we are really excited to have Alan Schleiman in uh, with, with us today. Alan has worked as an author and speaker for Stand to Reason since 2004. That's the name of the ministry, Stand to Reason. He trains Christians to share their convictions in a persuasive yet gracious manner. I love that. Mm-hmm. Alan also teaches mm-hmm. about some of the most controversial issues of our time, abortion, evolution, homosexuality, bioethics, and Islam. He has been a guest on both radio and television and has spoken to thousands of adults and students across the country at churches, conferences, and college campuses. So welcome to the show, Alan. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm excited about our uh, our discussion today. Yeah, and guess what? You are actually the first male guest that we've ever had on our podcast. Oh. I know. So look at <laughs> wow. you. Okay, you're making your you're right. making history right now. History. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I, I hope to um, I hope to represent our 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 uh, male gender well. <laughs> Thanks. We appreciate that. <laughs> and the topic we're going to talk about today reaches all gender, right? Yep. Both yep. of us. Okay. Yeah. That's that, right for sure. So um, recently, we just did an episode on deconstruction, and one mm-hmm. of the things that we talked about was why people are leaving the faith or leaving Christianity. And um, we we talked about that their deconstruction isn't leading them to reconstruct their faith. It's actually, um, in most cases, leading them to leave their faith. And so one of the reasons um, that we touched on of why this is happening is because many Christians are taught an incorrect theology or incorrect viewpoint on suffering. Mm -hmm. We really are seeing God more as a fixer, like this whole narrative of if you become a Christian, God's going to fix your marriage. If you become a Christian, <laughs> God will fix your addiction. And we we know right. that it certainly doesn't That's mean that possible. God can't or won't help or fix, um, but it's not a promise. And I think we've been teaching this in a really misleading way. And often um, this yeah. worldview can become really harmful about suffering and about who God is. So, Alan, um, we just want you to teach us and talk to us about uh, what's a good apologetic for suffering um, and then how can we have these conversations with our unbelieving friends about why a good God allows suffering? So first question, we're going to start you off with uh, just just this really small, uh, small question here. Did God create suffering? And what is the root cause of why our world has suffering? Ooh, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. Okay, we can answer this one. Sure. Um, yeah, so that's a good question. Uh the, the short answer is no. I don't. I would say no. God did not create suffering. Um, in fact, the, the Christian worldview teaches that God created the world and the universe and the way He made everything as actually in a good state. And in fact, the word "good" is used um, seven times in the Genesis account of creation. And so we see God created this perfect world, 
Uh, there's no suffering. You know, Adam and Eve are this really like a perfect relationship with God. The problem, though, happens is that, of course, we know Adam and Eve fall, they sin. And as a result of that sin, it brings into the world, it brings into creation um, all of all of the all, all this evil. And so it just wreaks havoc on creation. And we see this principle taught in Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, right? So, for example, uh, in Genesis 3, it talks about how uh, God says, you know, because you guys ate from the tree, which I said don't eat, cursed is the ground because of you. This is sort of God, you know, talking about some of the curses that result from the fall. Uh, Romans 5, also similar kind of thing. It says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So we see both in the Old and New Testament, uh, a consistent teaching that it's a result of man falling and allowing sin to enter into creation. And so this changes everything. It, it changes man's relationship with God. It changes man's relationship with other people. And it changes mankind's relationship with the created order with creation. And so basically we live in a world of evil and suffering that we created, not that God created. Hmm. I like that you're, you're bringing that up because I feel like when people think about Christianity, sometimes there is this, um, this language of, well, you're a sinner and we are sinners. It's not, it's not negating that, but it makes it seem like God didn't create us to be in relationship with him and that God didn't create us like with value um, and that he didn't Mm -hmm. create us lovingly. And so Mm -hmm. I like that you, there's a, there's a distinguishing of that of yes, we are sinners, but it's also something that was our doing our response, like something we need to take responsibility for and that God didn't create that in us. It was something that we did. So thank you for Mm -hmm. making that point. That's really helpful. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, as a just a follow-up question on that, Alan, is suffering the same thing as then the problem of evil? Uh, what's the difference between suffering and evil? Well, I'd say they're related, but they're they're not the same thing. So, the the problem of evil is usually um, described as a type of argument against God's existence, mm-hmm. and the way typically a, a person who's a skeptic or an atheist um, would would um, formulate this argument, they'd say something like this, and this is probably how many people hear it. They'll say, well, if God is good, he must be against evil. And if God is all powerful, he has the the strength or the capacity to destroy evil. But they'll say evil exists, like it's still around. So therefore God probably doesn't exist. In other words, they believe that the existence of God and the existence of evil is a contradiction. Like they both can't exist. Like either God exists or evil exists, but they both can't. So that's that's what the problem of evil is. That's just an argument against God's existence. Suffering is something different. It's I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure the best way to define it, but it'd be the sort of the mental or physical anguish that we experience. But I would add, it can be the result of evil in the world. So. For example, if, I don't know, if a drunk driver, you know, gets in an accident and kills a loved one, well, then you'd, you'd experience suffering, right? The pain of loss, you know, the pain of losing a family member. And so notice you have an evil action taking place, namely 
you know, a drunk driver, you know, driving around and, and injuring somebody and killing somebody. And then as a result of that, we experience, you know, a trial or a suffering. So that's why I say they're related, but uh, they're, they're really two different kinds of things. What about sin? Like, so would you categorize sin and suffering in the same boat? Or would you say that suffering is a result of sin or sin and suffering are this in the you would, same you would say you would say that would you say that sin is a or suffering is a result of sin or how well yes uh yeah so it can be i mean obviously if we sin so so for example uh we engage in something that's immoral like we engage in uh, in a promiscuous sexual activity so that's a sin and obviously god's design for us is not to engage in that kind of activity that's why he's commanded us not to be involved in fornication so let's just say we do it we sin and then we get, you know, someone gets uh, pregnant as a result of that uh, out of wedlock, or you get a sexually transmitted disease, or, or your heart is just broken because you're constantly bonding yourself with this other person, but not forming a, a wedding relationship, or, I'm sorry, a marriage relationship. So we, we experience suffering as a result of our own sin. So that's how, yes, suffering can be a result of sin. But it, it could also be a result of not just our sin, but of someone else's sin. Mm. So someone else commits a sin, and then we get caught in the backwash of that sin. You know, so I, I once, think yes, yes, they are related. Yes, and once I heard someone say that said that evil is the absence of light. So evil is just the absence of God. Um, what do you think of that statement? Yeah. So actually, uh, when I when I talk or teach about the subject, um, you know, people often say, "Well, how do you define evil?" And um, one of the ways I define evil is kind of like what you're what you're saying, Bev. Uh, although I don't say evil is the absence of God, I say evil is the absence of good or absence of goodness. In other words, um, uh, we define evil not by what it is, by what it is not. So to, to give you a, a, a funny illustration, like donut holes. Like when we think of a donut hole, we think of that little round cinnamon, sugary, kind of like, you know, or whatever flavor it is, you know, yummy pastry thing, right? Right. But a donut hole, in, in another sense, is the absence. It's like if you took a donut and you cut out the middle, you'd have a hole. So a donut hole is the place where there is no donut, right? And then, but, but to go into more serious ways to look at it, uh, you know, what is darkness? Well, darkness is the absence of light. Or what is coldness? Well, it's the absence of heat. And so notice all these things are defined not by what they are, but what they, but what they are not. And that is they're the absence of something. And so in the same way, evil is the absence of good or absence of goodness. So, yeah, I think that is one way to characterize what evil is. And I think that's important to characterize it that way because Christian teaching says that God made all things. Well, if evil is a thing... Like a, like a physical thing, well, then that's a problem because then we say God made right, evil. Right. But in reality, evil is not a thing. It's the absence of something. It's the absence of goodness. Yeah, I love and that. So, that. That really helps make it more clear. Yeah, that, that does help. What would you say, I guess, and I don't know if there's an answer to this. <laughs> I was just thinking through this. So if there's not, that's totally fine. Um, so would then evil maybe be a result of Satan, like of what of Satan's rebellion against God, like was that maybe what 
I don't know, started the whole evil thing? I don't know. What do you guys well, think? Well, um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, Satan is evil, and uh, Satan's um, involvement in our in creation does contribute to evil. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so there, but he's not the source of it in a sense, like, right. I mean, obviously Satan had the, the free will to decide whether he's going to worship and obey God or rebel and reject him. Obviously we know that he did rebel and reject them. And there seems to be the suggestion that a third of the angels also followed him. But whatever that number is, the point is that, yes, Satan is a cause of evil in the world because he is an evil being who has a, a certain amount of power to interact with, uh, you know, with creation. So, but he's not like the ultimate source, sure. you know, um, but, but he is a source of evil. And then I would add that our own free will contributes also to the problem of evil in the world. Like we contribute to it because we have free will and we can really choose to do good or evil. And I see that so uh, well portrayed in the the garden scene where Satan is Mm. there tempting and giving Eve, you know, half-truths about God. And yet she had to respond by taking it and eating of it, you know. So Mm -hmm. both were involved there. Yeah, maybe saying he, you know, Satan is the starter of evil is giving him too much credit. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's not powerful enough to like start it. I'm just like, I was just wondering like, how does he fit then in this whole evil thing? So he's anti-God, yeah, anti-God. And like, again, like the, the absence, his personality is the absence of God. He doesn't want God. He's rejected God. So that allows uh, for evil actions maybe then, but you know what? A question I think we hear a lot of people wondering is, okay, Okay, God's good, right? He's merciful, loving. Mm-hmm, you tell mm-hmm. me that all the time. I hit John three sixteen, you know. But then, why allow suffering? And and I think we all need to have this some kind of an answer on the tip of our tongue when we get into yeah. these types of conversations. Would you help us out there? Yeah, well, I think we see that God is still being good uh, when suffering happens when we look and see what does scriptures say about this, because actually scripture addresses this in numerous instances. Uh, and, and what we discover is that God often will allow suffering into our lives to refine us, to mature us, and, and to really to mold us to be more like, more like Christ. Uh, you know, James talks about this. You know, there's that one passage which is super surprising to me, but it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did he just say we should consider it pure joy when we encounter, you know, trial and suffering? And the answer is yes. But then that passage goes on to explain why. It says, because the testing of our faith produces endurance, and endurance can have its perfect result, so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we see the scripture saying that one of the reasons why God allows suffering is to to mature us and to mold us. Um, Romans also talks about this. Again, another kind of like, wait, did he just say that? Where Paul says that we should um, exalt in our tribulation. You know, it's like, what? why would we do that? Well, again, he answers. He says, because our tribulations bring about perseverance. And perseverance brings about character, and character provides us with hope, and hope doesn't disappoint, and so on and so forth, right? So we see this taught, and there's many other passages where we see 
um, the purpose for suffering and, and trials in our life that God might allow is because he's actually good. He's actually trying to make us into something better. And then, you know, if you just wanted to see examples of that, I mean, probably the, one of the most famous ones is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. That. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where, right, like his brother sell him into slavery, which clearly is evil. And then as a result of that, God, you know, brings Joseph into, you know, to Egypt. And then eventually he becomes a powerful ruler. And then he is able to, you know, uh, uh, anticipate the, the, um, the famine. And then eventually he's able to provide for Israel. And so there's that really famous verse in Genesis, uh, uh, Genesis, I think, 50. Or, yeah, 50. You know, it's in Genesis. It says, uh, uh, um what you meant for says, you, you, yeah. What you meant for evil, God meant for good, in order to bring about this present result and to pres- preserve many people. And so there you see, you know, God being involved in taking something that is evil and then using it for good. Turns it on its course, head. I love that thought. I love right. that thought because when we're suffering, we have to feel like there's something worthwhile in it. It can't just be for the pain of the, yes. the situation. Um, and how about right. the verse I, when we say, oh, God works all things together for good, and then people who are suffering just bristle when they hear that. Yeah, Romans, uh, Romans 8, 28. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, right, because we bristle because when we're in the moment, we're experiencing like this existential crisis. And so sometimes it's hard for us to see the big picture. But that's just because we're, you know, we're limited and finite creatures. We don't see the big picture like God sees it. And so I think... I think even myself, uh, when I'm experiencing suffering, you know, I think if someone says to me sort of in a flippant way, well, you know, hey, this will all be worked out for good. It's like, okay, yeah, I maybe, but right now I'm enduring suffering. Yes. And really what I want to hear from you is, you know, put your arm around me, you know, give me a hug, pray for me and say, hey, let me walk with you through this dark time. And maybe it's more that. Uh, we might know the truth, but we also want to see it lived out by people who love us and that are around us. Right. So it doesn't, it really shouldn't be our first response when someone is suffering is to say, it's all going to work out. You'll be fine. Yeah. That feels kind of trite, honestly. And yes, suffering is way more painful and nuanced than that. I also love that yeah. you guys both were talking about the redemption piece because I was even just thinking about how. Um, suffering has a really unique way of showing who God is as our redeemer. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that he can take such a disgusting, messy, broken, whatever situation and that he can use it and that it can be a testimony to other people about who he is. Mm-hmm. Like even, yeah, even I, that characteristic is powerful. Yeah. Right. I think, and yeah, I think this demonstrates the sovereignty of God that he can take something you know, it's an evil action by someone, but then still redeem it for something that's good. That's, yeah, that is, that is a God who's worthy of, of our of our allegiance and our, our worship. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, so for Christians, how can we reconcile in our own heart the goodness of God and his allowance of suffering? How, how do we wrestle with that? How do we reconcile that? Well, I think, and, and, and maybe this doesn't apply to everybody, but for me as a parent, I think this being a parent has helped me to be able to reconcile those two things because I, as a parent looking at my children as they grow up, I can see the big picture for their sort of life. 
because many times I have to allow my own children to endure hardship or trials or suffering, but it's because I know that it's going to produce something that in them that's valuable, you know, for example, making them a more mature person or developing some characteristic or attribute that's going to help them in the future. So, I mean, just to give you a simple example, you know, when my kids were super, super young, uh, you know, we came to the doctor and a nurse takes a needle and she wants to jab it in, you know, my kid's arm. And I'm like holding my kid's arm steady. And, mm-hmm. the, and my kid's looking at me thinking, why, father, are you allowing this stranger to jab me? Yeah. And of course, they can't understand even, you know, when they're like two or three, that really it's like, well, I'm, I'm giving them the shots because, you know, there's a world out there with diseases and viruses and whatever. And we want to protect them from that, you know. Uh, or maybe to give you a more, um, more recent example, my son, I was just thinking about this just the other day. He came home from school. He's a senior. Yeah, he's in high school now. He's a senior. <laughs> and he came home from school. He's totally behind on his, on his uh, assignments and his classes. He's totally procrastinated. And my wife and I are thinking, well, we should probably help him out. Like, let's help him with some of his work in order to help him to, to catch up. But then we realized, no, we, we need to let him go through this process on his own. And, and this process is, is going to be indeed a lot of suffering, like staying up late, working hard, forfeiting, spending time with your friends, because we want him to learn many things. We want him to learn not to procrastinate, how to be responsible for his own work, how to you know, set his mind to accomplish something that's difficult and then to, to go through it. And so notice we are allowing our son to endure suffering, but it's not because we're evil but rather we have an intention that's good. And I think this is what I mean by now that I've been a parent, I'm able to sometimes see in a small way how someone who has a measure of control over another person, like a parent over a child, is somewhat analogous to the way our loving father can also see the big picture of what we're enduring because he has a bigger plan in mind and he knows you know, how maybe suffering might help us to develop some characteristic or quality that might help us in the future, you know? Yeah. That's, there's a lot of good perspective in that. And that's like everything you were saying was just really hopeful, um, which I think is, is really help. It's, it's like that light at the end of the tunnel, like when you're in the suffering and you can't see the light to remember um, and think of God, like as a good father who knows what's best for us. Um, I was also thinking about, that suffering really points to the fact that this world is not our home. And even the Mm. hope in that, Mm -hmm. that we see senseless, you know, it feels like senseless tragedy and, um, you know, genocide and just these horrific things. Mm. And there should be a hope for the believer that, man, this is not forever. And I don't belong to this world. Thank God I don't belong to this world because what a bummer would that be if this was all, (laughs) all that I was dealt Right. is this right. this pain and this suffering and being around such evil. So thank you for bringing that up. That's a super good perspective. And I think too, Delaney, you know, this world is preparation for that perfect life that's yet ahead for us. So God mm-hmm. is refining us, allowing, allowing hardship to come our way, and it does refine us. We don't like it. But yet, I know I, I've had periods of suffering in my life where now I look back and I say I hated it. I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I was incapacitated by that suffering. And yet, yeah. I wouldn't trade that experience because of the good that it did in me 
in so many areas of my life. Number one, I learned that God loved me even when I was incapable of uh, serving or, or, you know, loving him back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He loved me flat on my back in, in the midst yeah. of the worst kind of suffering. So um, what you learn in suffering is so valuable. We hate it. <laughs> you yeah. know, we, we can we give thanks uh, in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. Yeah. And, I, and I've really mm-hmm. seen such a good work. And I, too, have allowed my kids to suffer the consequences of their actions in order to mm-hmm. grow them, in order to, you know, mature them and help them to become responsible adults. And God is making us into the image of his son. And that requires right. training, right? We, that that yeah. doesn't come natural for us. So we That's go right. through these things and, and God just sees the bigger, the most beautiful picture of our being and our circumstances that we just don't have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think you get to a point too, where you start to see suffering as more of a mercy. Um, obviously there are different kinds of suffering and tragedy. So that can't apply to every single, cir- you know, situation and circumstance, but at least in my life, some of those are really painful, hard, like moments. I, I look back and see God, how, how it was a mercy to me that God even saved me from something worse, like rescued me from something worse, or um, just what he revealed to me about who he is in that suffering was so merciful. You know, like he didn't have to show me this at all. And he, he chose right. to, you know, you know, allow a circumstance to reveal another part of who he is to me. And so, and that is mercy. Yeah. Because we don't know what we need. Yeah. We don't know what what our our deficiencies are. We don't know how this might affect our future. So it's, this is just such a fascinating topic, but let's, Mm -hmm. let's picture ourselves. We're in a room or we're out to lunch and we're talking to an unbelieving friend and suffering comes up. They're really going through a hard time. So the question that comes up in those kind of conversation is, of course, how could your good God allow so much suffering and evil in the world? It's like you address this a little Mm -hmm. bit earlier, but how do we answer this question for the person who doesn't believe in God or even scripture, it's like you're not coming from the same base. So how yeah. do you connect with the person who's in that place? Yeah. Well, when I'm, when I'm talking to non-believers or someone doesn't share my convictions, I love to use questions because questions are very disarming and engaging. And so if, if the person doesn't believe in God and they're asking me this question, uh, my question to them would be, what do you mean by evil? Or, or, or to simply ask them to define evil. Now, what they often are going to say is, well, like, you know, murder, rape, theft, whatever, you know. And I'll say, well, okay, those are examples of evil. But I'm asking them, define for me evil. Like, how would you recognize it? And, and here's the reason why I think this is an important question to ask our non-believing friends. The only way to define evil and I, I know earlier, I think, Bev, you had asked me about, um, you know, uh, is, is evil the absence of God or whatever? And, and that is absolutely one way to define it. But I think there's another way to define evil that allows you to identify acts of evil. And so it seems to me that the only way to define evil is by starting or presuming that there is some perfect standard of behavior that exists out in the universe that we're obligated to follow. And therefore, evil would be anything that is a departure from that perfect standard. 
So the only way, though, that that perfect standard can exist, if there's a God who creates that perfect standard, because think about it, if there's no God out there, then there's no standard of behavior, like, you know, do this or don't do that, yeah. right? The only standard that exists would be inside you and me. Like, right. All good, the good and evil be, don't exist then. Exactly. All mm-hmm. there is is my preferences or you, Delaney, or you, Bev, or, you know, some person down the street. We all have our own standards. Or maybe this society has one standard and another society has another standard. So notice there's no ultimate standard. Everything is just relative. And so if there's no objective standard, like a standard that exists out there in the universe that God made, well, then there's no ultimate way to define what evil is because you don't have that standard. And so here's the illustration I like to offer people. I say, um, how do you tell the difference between a good bowler and a bad bowler? (laughs) Now, now most people say, well, (laughs) you know, can you knock down the pins? I'm like, well, yeah, obviously, yeah. Okay. So, but, but what's a perfect score in bowling. Now, I don't know if you guys know, but a perfect score in bowling is 300, which means you, you know, every time you bowl the ball, bowling ball, you knock down every one of the pins, right? And, and so you get a 300 perfect score. And so the way you know the difference between a good bowler and a bad bowler is their score. You know, if I get 280, well, wow, that's really close to the perfect score of 300. So that means to me I'm a good bowler. But if I score, say, 50 points, well, that's a huge departure from that perfect score of 300. And so notice, the only way to tell whether I'm a good or bowler or a bad bowler is if there's that perfect standard of 300 that exists. So now imagine we get rid of that perfect score in bowling. Imagine there's no 300 perfect score, okay? So suppose I bowl 50. Am I a good bowler or a bad bowler? Well, you say... I don't know because I got nothing to compare it to. I have no standard. I have no uh, objective way to test it. Exactly. And so in the same way, unless there's a God who's created a perfect standard that sort of exists out there, we can't really tell whether any behavior is good or evil. And so this is why my question to them is always, well, what do you mean by evil when you're complaining about evil being a problem for God's existence? Because on their view, there is no God, and so there must be no standard of good, and so there must be no perfect standard of behavior. So how are they defining evil? And so this is how I'm engaging the non-believer in this particular question, is by kind of pressing them with this question. Not as a trick, but as a legitimate question. Right. No, that's a good point. And I think most of us, there's this thing in us that we kind of just— innately can recognize good and evil not that we're inherently good certainly not but sure. we can what is that that there's this thing in us where we can be like okay that person's stealing from that person that's wrong like do you think that's like a god-given thing or a societal thing yeah absolutely yeah I, yes i i absolutely think i think because we're made in the image of god that it, we have this sort of, like you said, Delaney, this sort of uh, innate sense of right and wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, that, that can be affected by living a life where you're just sort of like constantly rejecting um, that sort of internal sense of rightness and wrongness. But uh, absolutely, I think we're all born with that. And, of course, um, if we're also regenerate, if we become a believer, now we have also the Holy Spirit in us that also convicts us of right and wrong as well. So there's a, there's, a, there's a number of things that can uh, provide that. Yeah, because I was thinking even that, like that 
that kind of innate sense we have of right and wrong. I'm like, even that points to the fact that there's a God that would put that in us in mm-hmm. my, in my mind, like, okay, well, how did you get that? Where does that come from? Like, and, and the sense of justice yeah. is, is related to that. You yeah. know, where do we get that sense of justice? You see that in a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. They know when right. something has not been just, and they, re- right. they, they reject it. They go against it. That's not fair, you know. You gave her two candies, and I didn't get any. That's not fair. So where did that come from, too? Right, right. And I like yeah. that you brought up that up, Alan, that there's a standard of that. Like, right, right. So the, uh, the way I sometimes will distill kind of all that I just said, uh, when, they, when they say, well, you know, how can you believe, you know, God is good if there's all this evil in the world? So here's the question that I'll often ask that really distills all this. I'll ask them this question, do, and it's related to what I was saying earlier. Do you believe evil is real? Hmm. So they're saying, I can't believe in God because of all this evil in the world. Okay, my question is, do you believe evil is real? Now, this question puts them on what we call the horns of a dilemma, which means <laughs> how, whether they answer the question yes or no, it's not going to play out well for them. Because mm. suppose they say, yes, of course I believe evil is real. That's why I'm saying it's a, it's a problem for God's existence. Okay, well, suppose they say evil is real. Well, think what logically follows. If evil is real, there must be a standard of perfection. But if there's a standard of perfection, there must be a God who made that standard. But if there's a God, well, then that, that undermines their case that there is no God, because now you have to presume God exists in order for evil to be real. So then they'll say, oh, okay, well, then no, evil's not real. I'll say, okay, well, then if evil's not real, what are you complaining about? Hmm. I thought you're complaining that evil's a problem for God's existence, but you just now said evil is not real. So then there's no evil to complain about. Oh, so that's why I say yeah. the question, is evil real, is a great question that gets the conversation going. And however they answer it, whether they say, yes, evil is real or no, evil is not real, it's going to put them in a, in a problem situation for their position. That's really good. I'm going to have to rewind that and listen to you say that again. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that is really helpful. I would have never thought about that. So, okay, so we've talked a little bit. So we've talked about suffering. We You brought up Justice Bev. Um, another topic that really arises in this whole suffering and evil conversation with unbelievers mm-hmm. is often this, why would a good God send people or allow people like allow there to be a hell? Why wouldn't a good God take away hell and suffering? So obviously as believers, you know, we can understand that. But again, sure. how do you have, how do you talk about this with someone who doesn't believe in God or or believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Yeah, hell is such a hot topic because yeah. Yeah. a lot of Christian groups in this progressive, quote, Christianity, it yeah. seems like they're mm-hmm. rejecting this whole concept of hell in order they to do. make our, you know, to make the Christian faith more palatable to the culture yes. today. And yet we know from Scripture that that's not correct. Right. Yeah, I agree. The, the solution is never to alter the truth of Scripture in order to be palatable for the right, culture. Right. Uh, say, that again. Never, say that again. Yes, please. We should never alter the truth of Scripture in order to make it more palatable for the culture. Amen. Because, yeah, we're, we're because first of all, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not only because that's disobedient and, and misrepresenting God, but uh, also because I don't think it'll ever be beneficial anyway. They'll never accept. I mean, it, it's not about making it palatable because um, they'll never be satisfied no matter what. You could, you, could, you could compromise on that 
And they'll say, oh, but what about this other thing? I, you know, I don't like this. So now we're just making God and Christianity in our own making. Okay. Anyway, um, so I, I think this, this challenge, it's a fair question, by the way. And I, I know it sounds like by God creating hell and sending people to hell, this makes God evil. But actually, I think it proves the opposite. It actually proves that God is good. And here's how I, how I think that works. And I, I like to always use illustrations, but the illustration I often use is this. I say, imagine you have uh, an enemy, and this enemy has been trying to hurt you for years. And one day he, he manages to find your mother or your daughter or whatever, and he murders them. Ugh. Now, imagine further, he gets caught by the police, and then he's brought before a court. And the judge looks at this cold-blooded killer and says, you know what? You know, you know, be a judge. I, I, I just, you know, I feel like I, I want to be a good person. I want to be a loving person, and I can't really bring myself to put this person in prison. So instead, I'm just going to let this person go free and not suffer any consequences for his horrific murder. Well, I, I submit to you that most people would consider that judge as an unfair, as an unjust judge, and that the, and that the justice system has failed us. And that's because we intuitively believe that a good and just judge should punish evildoers. Well, in the same way, if God does not punish evildoers, then how can he be good and just? And so I think if, if, if God didn't punish evildoers, people would then complain about God in a different way. They'd be like, oh, well, how come, you know, mm. how can God be good if he doesn't punish evil? <laughs> Yeah. So really, I think the presence of hell is a testament to God's goodness and to God's fairness and to God's justice, because we recognize that um, evil needs to be punished. And if you don't punish it, then you are evil. Yes. <laughs> if you don't punish evil, yes. right? Yes, yes, definitely. Let's take another question on this same topic, um, and it's it's a two-part question. When a bel- unbeliever mm-hmm. asks you, why would God allow me, <laughs> you know, they're obviously going through something, to experience abuse or evil or suffering, whatever it is, how should we respond in a way that empathizes with them in their pain, mm-hmm. but also points mm-hmm. them to the gospel? We want to be able to have this kind of uh, gospel uh, conversation with people when they are in this situation, when they are, uh, are minus God, and yet they're looking for answers in their in their suffering. So how how can you turn that conversation into a gospel conversation? Yeah, you know that's a great question, and I love it because man, when when we're in a situation where an unbeliever asks us this question, we are being handed like on a platter an yes. amazing opportunity to show that person the love of God and to explain to them the truth of God. Like what a, I mean, I hope everybody takes advantage of that opportunity when that happens. Okay. Um, but, but so two, two things come to mind. Number one is whenever someone asks me that, or if someone asks you that, I think this is an amazing opportunity for us to put into practice the command for us to love our neighbors. And this is an opportunity for us to walk with them through whatever dark journey or time that they're experiencing and going through at that moment. Because remember, the, the Bible says, um, in terms of de- defining our identity, that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, as though God is making an appeal through us. In other words, we represent God and Jesus to other people, especially to non-believers, right? 
And so when we are able to show them the love, show them love and care and support by us sort of walking through this dark time with that person, we are, we are representing God uh, to them. We're representing Christ to them. So I think that the, the first thing that we should do whenever someone asks us this question is to, is to embody the love of God to that person by loving them and caring for them and just asking, you know, how we can support and care for them. Um, secondly, though, um, I, I also like to say something like, or try to explain something because you wouldn't want to do this right off the bat by just sort of sharing some sort of trite answer, you know, Right. Um, I think the first thing we should do is embody that love and be the, be the love and care that we say that God is. But ultimately, I want to tell the person, you know, yeah, we don't know why maybe God is allowing this to happen. But I would try to, you know, again, at, at appropriate times, try to remind them of some of the things that, like we've already discussed in our conversation, you know, in this interview here about, you know, like how God sees the big picture and he might allow us to experience something, you know, uh, in order to, to mold us or make us better. And, and so I try to remind them of three things. Number one, I say, look, if there is a God, well, that means God made you. And if he made you, it probably means he cares about you because he cares about his creation and he loves you. So that's number one. Number two, I tell them, look, God God is an incredibly wise and just God, and he has a reason, but we, it, it may just be the case that we don't know it. And that's why I say, you know, sometimes I might bring up the illustration of being a parent and how, you know, we parents sometimes can see the bigger picture, but our kids can't. So I might try to say something that will help them to see that. But the third thing I'll add is this. I'll say, you know, maybe God is trying to get your attention. Hmm. Maybe he's trying to um, have you turn to him. I love that. And I, it, it, it reminds me of that great C.S. Lewis quote where God, where he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. Yes. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. Mm. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Mm. And I think sometimes trials and suffering naturally cause us to sort of reflect on our life. And maybe, you know, God's using this to get our attention. So that's that's kind of how I try to, you know. Uh, encourage them to think about that process. Mm, that's good. Real good. I mean, yeah. I just, I wish I had you with me Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I get in these conversations, but I, I'm going to re-listen so that I can have these answers more on the tip of my tongue and be in the forefront of my thoughts so that I can too, you know, glorify God and honor God in these situations. Yeah. And I love that you presented it as such a great opportunity. Because I think sometimes when we think about going into these conversations, it's more of like a stressful thing. But to think of yeah. it as, man, what an opportunity to show mm. people that this is also like, you know, not who God is. God wants to be in relationship with you and heaven is our home. And so, mm. you know, that there there is hope and there's light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you for that. Um, we want to mention while you're on here to all of our listeners that Alan and some others from the Stand for Reason team will be at Grace Church for the Reality Student Apologetics Conference. It's called Seek and You Will Find on November 11th and 12th. 
They will be expounding on some of these topics we've discussed today and will also help equip you to navigate your doubts, answer tough questions, and find truth. We were talking about this with Alan um, before we started recording, but man, he said that this um, conference is actually catered towards engaging high school and college students. And so this is going to be a little different than maybe the typical conferences you've been to. It's going to be super fun. Um, They've got games. They've got like a talk show vibe going on. So you guys are going to want to, if you're going to want to go. Uh, tickets are still on sale, so students, grab your ticket. Moms or grandmas, if you're listening, invite the students you know to this conference. They're going to be really training your students to engage in these really hard conversations, which also will help them like as they navigate life to be able to reconcile some of these harder things, harder topics from the Bible, and um, just be able to stand on God's Word. So, Alan, thank you so much yes, for coming Alan. on here. This was super helpful. Yeah. It- very equipping for yeah. us um, at, to, to hear how you respond to these things. And it, it just all makes so much sense. And I think it will give us a, a ready word when we find ourselves in this situation. And certainly the youth of today, uh, mm-hmm. it's just not a Christian culture anymore. They got to have answers and mm-hmm. they've got to be yeah. articulate about it and compassionate and loving in it. And I know that that is one of your missions in your organization. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, thank you. Know, sorry, go ahead. You know, I just wanted to thank you. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like what you guys are doing is really admirable. um, And we need people who are going to just jump into these hard conversations and these hard moments with young people. So 11th and 12th of November. Yeah. Parents, you know, see to it that your kids get there and and anybody who's in charge of a youth group or young people in any way, uh, buy their tickets, encourage them in every way possible. And I just think this could be life changing. And also it creates an army of uh, here we go, Christian marching. Rise up. Rise up. Mm -hmm. Rise up. They have to have the answers. They can't just uh, blend in culture anymore. They are definitely on the front lines as Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you as a parent, you know, want, you know, you should come as well. Like, you know, get tickets for your kid, and you come as well, so you can learn this stuff. Because eventually, we want parents to be the ones who are discipling kids at home on a regular basis to think about these things that you know you guys have brought up. For example, like the problem of evil and suffering. Like, these are the kinds of discussions we want to be having with our kids, so that they are prepared and trained to to deal with the hostility that we get from the culture about some of these things. So you're inviting parents as well. Wonderful. Okay, yeah, I was, I was, oh, I was well, yeah, maybe yeah, going to yeah. ask I mean, you that. I was like, can I go? <laughs> yeah, I'd say if you're a parent or a, or a grandparent or a teacher, like you said, any kind of a person who has a kid in their life, get them tickets and you come with them as well. Like it's not just send your kids there. I mean, you can, um, but I think it's great if parents and leaders come because then you can also learn the stuff and then use it at home or use it in your school if you're a teacher or if you're a grandparent, whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, we're trying to we're trying to train the next generation because the because the future the, the next generation is the future of the church. Amen. Yeah. And so if, so if we want to see a healthy church, we want to train the next generation, and that's what we're trying to do with Reality Apologetics, which wow. by the way is our website, realityapologetics.com. If you want to learn more about the conference and see a, a trailer, we have a trailer for the conference there. So. Yeah, and we'll when we release this episode, we will link everything too for you guys who are listening. So don't worry about that. Just go to our Instagram, or you could go um, if oh, you type good, yeah. in if you type in um, Stand for Reason in Instagram too. You, their Instagram will pop up instantly, so you can also look on that. Um, but we'll stand to reason, stand, not for reason. Oh my bad, stand to reason. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll link everything so everyone can find um, you know tickets to the conference. But thank you, Alan. Bev is just going to pray. You, 
um, to close us. And um, yeah, we'll be done. Heavenly Father, All right. thank you for this wonderful, rich time together where we're talking about these deep issues, Lord. So many people have questions. Even as Christians, we have questions and we want to be able to have a ready response when we're asked. So I pray, Father, that you would continue to bless and use Alan and the rest of the teachers in this ministry, that this ministry would go far and wide and would raise up that next generation for the cause of Christ to your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She Is Becoming.